Well, this morning we're going to change it up a little bit and we're going to, instead of continuing in our study in the book of Genesis, I'm going to take a little break from that. My wife said that y'all might appreciate that. I don't know if you would or not, but, uh, but actually uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 today. Uh, I believe my first sermon here when I came to fill in uh, during the interim time was... Uh, from the parable of the lost sheep from Luke chapter 15. And that's actually part of a a revival series that I do um, based on the three parables of Luke 15. And because most revivals these days go for three days or three nights, I I, kind of developed some revival sermons around that. And I had the opportunity to preach in a revival this past uh, week. And so because of that and because of... uh, developing this the this series I wasn't able to focus on Genesis anyway so I thought hey why not just uh, shoot the second barrel at, at uh, friendship now that I've developed this sermon so uh, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 15 verses 8 through 10 I hope that you don't mind me taking a, a variance on our our series through Genesis but we'll look at this parable of the lost coin Uh, It's a parable that you know very well. In fact, the three parables that make up Luke chapter 15 are some of the most popular parables. Uh, The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the prodigal son are the two most popular uh, parables in all of uh, our culture. In fact, if you were to ask somebody what it meant to be a prodigal son, most people can tell you whether they're believers or not. And you'll hear it even on the TV. Somebody will say, oh, the lost sheep has returned or the lost prodigal son has returned. And so they even know those terms, even though they don't know the Bible. And so uh, we're going to look at probably the least popular of those three parables today as we look at the parable of the lost coin. But the theme is the same throughout these three parables. Jesus is getting at an issue with the religious leaders of his day who were known as the Pharisees. And we'll talk about uh, that a little bit as we read. We're going to read actually verses 1 through 10 today and set up the, the, the point of the sermon today. And uh, we're going to look at the whole point of the sermon as we go through it, you'll see, is how we deal with our own value. How do we relate to God and how is it that we judge our own value before God? Is it based on our works? Is it based on our value before men? What do we do to judge our own value before God? And how is it that we relate to other people? And so we'll read Luke chapter 15 verses 1 through 10. And then I'll pray and we'll get into the sermon. Luke chapter 15 starting in verse 1. God's word says... Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I say to you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins... 
If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, and sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we come to hear from you. We don't come to hear from Nathan Skipper. We don't come to hear from some ancient musician and, and songwriter. We come to hear from your word. And so, Father, I pray that as I preach that I would be removed from the scene and that uh, I would be hidden behind the cross of Christ. And, Lord, that in seeing Christ lifted up and hearing about what he has said and what he has done, that these people would be renewed and be brought into a right relationship with you. Father, bless our time together. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us a desire, a new heart to know you and to seek your will. And Father, may we judge our value rightly before you. May we know what our relationship is to you. And may we seek to join in together in the mission of your church as we seek to find the lost sheep and the lost coins of this world in taking the gospel into our community and into our world. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as you look at the culture today, it doesn't take much effort to see that we are obsessed in our culture today with our own self-worth and our individuality. It's a tough word to say. I, I just barely got it out there. Too many syllables in that word. Um, you can see it clearly in our commercials. As you watch commercials today, you might notice slogans like, Because you're worth it. Or, Challenge everything. Or my personal favorite from Reebok, I am what I am. Which just seems slightly uh, sacrilegious since God's name that he gives to, the, to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 is, I am that I am. Um, you can see it in the language that we use, the catchy little sayings that we pick up from our sports uh, celebrities or our celebrities in general, like you do you and be who you are. You can also see it in the ongoing identity crisis that our upcoming generations are facing. You know, before the 20th century, your destiny or your identity was pretty well set from you, for you from birth. If your father was a blacksmith, you were going to be a blacksmith. If your father was an attorney, you were going to be an attorney. But beginning in the 20th century, it became possible for people to have some upward mobility. And so parents began to tell their children, you can be anything that you want to be, but you have to be something. There was some mobility there, but there was also expectations. But beginning with the, the 1960s, for a number of reasons, this became less and less popular. It became less and less popular to put restrictions or prescriptions on our children or to put any expectations on our children. And so now, instead of saying you can be anything you want to be as long as you're something, we just say you can be anything you want to be. And what that has led to is children today grow up without any identity. They are told they can be, uh, that they matter more than anything else in the world and that they can choose any and every path in this life. 
And the result of that consistent messaging is that we have a generation of adults who do not know who they are. They've been told their whole lives that they can be whatever they want, so why not just sit at home? (laughs) They've been told their whole lives that they can love whomever they want, and so why be hurt by love at all? But for all of our focus on this self-worth and individual, this has led to gross abuse. For to be the most valuable person in the world means that anybody else doesn't have any value. No one else has any value. So the woman who wants to do what she wants to do with her own body will scream, it my body, my choice, while the doctor tears an unborn child from her who is made in the image of God from her womb. And a white supremacist who thinks his value is tied up in his race will scream out, go back where you came from, while spraying a Walmart with 223 rounds. You know, it's all the same thing. It's all a decision to value one's own life over the life of another. And yet it's nothing new. We've already seen it in Genesis as we've marched through Genesis 4 and 5 and 6 and on through chapter 11. We've seen that all the way through the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation, we have the record of man's devaluing of his fellow man. Cain wanted God's approval without repentance, so he killed his faithful brother in order to gain it. The Pharaoh of Egypt wanted to defend his crown against the rising population of the Jews, and so he committed mass infanticide in order to cut down on their population. Haman, in the book of Esther, hated the Jews so much that he used trickery to try to wipe out the whole Jewish nation, Jewish population, in one single day. And while there are small rays of hope in the story of Israel, we still find a people who valued their own self-worth over that of another. Even though God had given them the Ten Commandments, the Israelites still devalued human life. They enslaved whole peoples, murdered the prophets, and offered their own children as sacrifices to Canaanite gods. And even after the exile, when you would have thought that they would have learned their lesson, the people still found ways to devalue human life. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were actually some of the best at it. They had established practices that would elevate their own value before men, while also setting up ways of devaluing other people. So, they would set up pots in the back of their churches, large metal pots. And as they entered the church, they would throw their uh, big bag of money into that pot and it would clank and make all sorts of noises so that the people would say, oh, look how righteous and good this Pharisee is. Or they would stand on the street corner and they would say these elaborate prayers that they had written out and they would wear sackcloth and ashes so that everybody would see how righteous and devout they were and marvel at how pious these Pharisees were. And at the same time that they built these rules to gain admiration, they would also build rules so that they would relegate the blind and the leprous and the infirmed to live lives of poverty. 
So when they find Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, they think that they finally got a reason to disqualify this new upshot rabbi. And Jesus answers their grumblings with the three parables that I talked about earlier. And the heart of this story or the heart of these three parables, we find the parable of the lost coin. Jesus starts this parable of the lost coin by telling about a woman that has ten coins. And there's one thing that I want you to notice about the woman as we go through this. And there are three things that I want you to notice about the coins. First of all, the Pharisees of Jesus' story, the Pharisees that Jesus is dealing with, would have noticed a pattern that Jesus is using as he tells the first two parables. In the first parable, the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus uses the character of a shepherd to represent God. Now, in this parable, the parable of the lost coin, Jesus uses a woman to represent God. Now, in Jesus' day, and you may have heard this before, there were no two greater despised groups of people than shepherds and women. Shepherds in Jesus' day were considered ceremonially unclean because of their close contact to uh, animals. And because they might come in contact with a dead animal particularly, they were not allowed to enter the temple and worship in the temple without going through a number of ceremonial processes. And the Pharisees themselves believed that if they were to touch a shepherd, then they themselves could be made ceremonially unclean just by doing that. Women were not really any better in Jesus' day. In fact, you might already know that women were not viewed as much more than property in Jesus' day. They couldn't own property. They couldn't enter into contracts. And they weren't considered to be a credible witness in a trial. And yet, from the very beginning of the gospel stories, we find this pattern that God is establishing where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. You might already know, but, and this is a little bit of a trick question, but who were the first, who, what was the first group of people that the message of the coming Messiah came to in the Gospel of Luke? It was women. Actually, before the shepherds, it was the women. Mary and Elizabeth were told of the coming Messiah before anybody else in Luke's Gospel. Now, the second group. What's the second group that we're to hear of the coming Messiah? The shepherds. So the two most despised groups in Jesus' day were the first two groups to hear about the coming Messiah and to receive the good news of the Gospel. And so now Jesus uses the same idea to show the Pharisees, uh, show that the Pharisees have greatly misunderstood the priorities of God. You see, God, and this might sound like a little bit of a shock, but God values people more than He values laws. Now, that sounds like a shock because we're all good conservative people. We're all good conservative Bible-believing Christians. And you can think of plenty of examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament where God's law is set on a pedestal and, got, and, and loved and supposed to be loved and adored. And yet, what is the whole point 
of God's law. The whole point of God's law is so that his, his people might walk in fellowship with him. The point of the law is not to just follow the law. The point of the law is to rightly understand things as God understands them and therefore to have a right relationship with him. And so the coins that this woman is, has say three things about our worth as well. First of all, women of this time would have been given a small dowry uh, at the beginning of their marriage. And it was kind of like um, some of them had a, uh, a box that they would keep this dowry in. It might be some coins or it might be some treasure um, but they might have had a small box, I guess like a, a hope chest. Some of you women might have had a hope chest when you were growing up. Um, but a lot of times women would wear their dowry. They actually, in the marriage ceremony, would have a headband that would have the coins of their dowry in their headband. And after they got married, they would weave this headband or they would even wear the headband on special occasions, but they would weave this headband that had their money in it into their hair. Remember, in those days, they didn't cut their hair much, and so their hair would be really long, and they would weave this money into their hair, or this headband into their hair. And you get the idea from this that you can understand that this money was more valuable to this woman than just the value of the money itself. You get this because we do that. We place more value on things than just what they're worth today. Right, ladies? If your mom gives you a necklace or your grandmother passes down a ring to you, it's worth more than just the few hundred dollars that you could make off of selling it. In fact, in many ways, it's probably priceless to you. And there's no way that you could ever replace it. In a similar way, brothers and sisters, understand that your value before God is not measured by what you can do for Him or what, you, what He can gain through you. It's not your cash value that makes you valuable to God. Your value before God is in the value that He bestows on you as an image bearer. And this is good news because if my value before God were based on how much I was worth to Him or my worthiness to Him, then I would never make it. But if my value to Him is based on something that He gives to me, then I cannot lose my position before Him because of my health, my position in this life, my abilities, or even my sin. And the second thing I want you to notice about these coins is notice that they all have the same value. They are all what the Romans call a drachma. And a drachma was a silver coin that was worth a day's wage for a day laborer. In the parable, there is not one coin that has any more value than any other. Now, with the parable of the lost sheep, we might be able to say, well, of course the shepherd would risk all that he had to go and find this one sheep because it was his favorite sheep. 
You know, we all have our favorite pets, right? We all have that one dog or that one cat or that one cow or whatever that we like more than all the others because they're obedient or they they smile at you when you come in the door or whatever it is. Now, I don't know about cats. Cats don't really smile, but dogs do, right? We all have that one pet that we like. And so we could imagine that this one shepherd would risk it all for one sheep that he likes. But we can't say that about coins. Coins don't do anything other than carry a certain amount of value. And brothers and sisters, understand that you are not worth any more or any less than the person sitting right next to you in this church. Oh, how we need to understand this in the church today because we so often think that our giving or our uh, years of membership or our faithfulness somehow make us more valuable to God than the weakest person among us. But it doesn't. Our value to God is not based on what we do, but the value that he gives to us. And if this is true of the world, uh, true of the church, then it's also true of the world. Remember that Jesus is telling this parable and using the concept of coins to compare sinners and tax collectors to these coins. And so there's not one person in this church and there's not one person out in the world who is not made in the image of God. Are they of a different race? They are made in the image of God. Are they an immigrant? They are made in the image of God. Do they have a special need? They are made in the image of God. Do they have an addiction? They are made in the image of God. Do they have everything in this world, everything that this world could offer and yet don't know Jesus? They are made in the image of God. And finally, notice that this woman is willing to overturn everything in her house to find this one missing coin. And when she does find it, she, like the shepherd of the previous parable, throws a great party to celebrate finding this coin. Jesus says in verse 10 that this celebration is akin to the celebration that happens in heaven when one sinner repents. I get from this that oftentimes for us as good church people, our priorities can be totally out of place. So often as good church folk, we are just like these Pharisees. I'm afraid that we would be just fine with people going to hell as long as they would act right while they're here on earth. See, brothers and sisters, the gospel is not about patriotism. The gospel is not about morality. The gospel is not for a particular race, and it is not represented by a particular nation. The gospel, as Jesus says in John 3.16, is for whosoever. And so, friend, because of that, the gospel is for you. You may be here today and all you've ever known of the gospel is what you've heard on some country music song. You may have thought that it could not be for you because you have a tattoo or you like to get rowdy on the weekends or you uh, or have a past that you're afraid these good people might know about. Yet Jesus says through this parable that you are valuable. And you're not valuable because what you have done and you can't make yourself valuable by doing things. 
You are valuable to God because He has made you in His image. And so turn to Jesus Christ today and trust in Him. And He will forgive you of all of your sins. He died for you. And won't you live for Him? Brothers and sisters, may we be found loving the ones that Jesus loves. So many times our love for our neighbor is shaped more by our political leanings or our social standing than by our allegiance to Christ. May we repent of that and seek the lost coins wherever they may lie. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you were gracious to us even when we were lost and unable to find you. And like these coins, uh, they were not able to do, this one coin was not able to do anything to be found. But yet you, in your graciousness to us, you turned the house over, so to speak. You shined a light in our hearts that we might know you and turn to you. So Father, forgive us for so many times valuing other people differently than you value them. Forgive us for assuming that we have some value to add to our salvation as if you would accept us on any other terms other than the fact that you love us and you have made us in your image. Father, give us a heart to love the loveless, to seek those who are not like us and to share the gospel with them, even though it might be difficult, even though it might mean going to places that we would otherwise not go. Father, give us a desire to do this as we leave this place. May we be the people that you've called us to be, searching out the lost sheep, searching out the lost coins, and loving the prodigal son. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.